Hey, this is Bobby Rio, and I have a special interview for you today focused on the topic of creating the life you want to live. And my guest is Sean Stephenson, and he has a very inspiring story and is living an exciting, successful, and impactful life. And today he's going to share his stories and his strategies. You're going to learn the best way to set goals, things you need to do to achieve your goals, the power of storytelling, physical confidence, embracing fear, gathering up your courage, and going for change. Before we get started with the interview today, I just wanted to tell you about a special free report I'm currently giving out. It's called Make Small Talk Sexy, and you can grab a copy of it at makesmalltalksexy.com. In this report, I talk about how to easily turn a boring conversation fun, flirtatious, and sexual. I give some powerful techniques for transforming your conversations within seconds, and you don't need to be outgoing or extroverted to use this. I was pretty damn shy most of my life and sort of forced myself later in life to really learn how to talk to women. And in this free 27-page report, I dumped some of the best stuff I got. And it's really centered on taking boring, everyday small talk and transforming it into the conversations that you look forward to having. I hope you enjoy it. You can find it at makesmalltalksexy.com. Let's get started with today's interview. All right, this is Bobby Rio. I'm here with Sean Stevenson. Uh, Sean is the author of the recently released Get Off Your Butt, B-U-T-T. Sean no, is B-U-T. also... Oh, B-U-T? Mm-hmm, yep, talking about our butt excuses, our butt fears, and our butt insecurities. Ah, okay, there you go. Sean, uh, Sean's a motivational and uh, very inspiring speaker. I've heard him uh, for the first time uh, a few years back as a guest speaker on one of David uh, David D'Angelo's seminars, and I was just blown away by just how how funny and inspiring he was. And now uh, with his book out, I, I thought it was a perfect time to get him on the phone and uh, just uh, chat with him a little bit. Uh, Sean, you want to just introduce yourself and uh, just tell the the listeners how you got started in personal development? Sure. Well, I have an interesting uh, background. I was born with a rare condition called osteogenesis imperfecta, and it stunts the growth of my bones, so I'm only about three feet tall in height, and I use a wheelchair for mobility, and in my life, my bones have been fragile, so I've fractured over 200 times since age 18, or from birth to age 18, and my life has just been filled with magical moments amidst all of that, and my condition physically is only about 2% of who I am as a human being. I've gone on to fall in love with personal growth because in my condition, I really understood that human beings have to interact with me in order for me to get help, and I realized that there were certain behaviors that made people more fond of wanting to help me and other behaviors that kind of pushed people away from me. And as that's when I got involved with psychology at a young age, just figuring that if you have a certain mindset and a certain attitude, people want to be around you more and you can get more done on this planet. So I started studying personal growth at a very young age in high school. I started with Tony Robbins and thought, You know, the guy had all the answers and went to a lot of his seminars and befriended him. And uh, now he's just recently wrote the foreword to my new book, Get Off Your Butt, B-U-T. 
And I've studied many, many others, you know, everything from spiritual teachings to religious dogmas, figuring out what do human beings need to feel good. And that's what I boil down all of personal growth is just how do we feel good. Yeah, and in, in your experience, like, what do you think is the best way to get started? I mean, you you got you got into it young, which is is great. And but for some of the people who who are out there and are stuck in like a, a rut or a slump, you know, what kind of advice do you have for them as far as as taking that initiative that you took back then to to you know pick up the books and. and... Well, I would tell you that you need to set a high GPA, and I don't mean grade point average. I mean goal, purpose, and action. When you know what you want, that's a goal, right? You have a vision of what you want in your mind, uh, but that's not enough. We all have daydreams. We all have uh, ideals of, you know, the cars, the money, the happiness, the the relationships, the whatever. However, that's just an idea. That's just a, a thought. It's not enough. That's why you need the P in the GPA, and that's your purpose. Why do you want it? Why is it important that you have a great relationship why is it important that you make you know, a certain amount of money? Why is it important that you live on a private island or a penthouse apartment or wherever you want to live or drive whatever you want to drive or do whatever you want to do? Why is that a value to you? Because when you know what you want and you know why you want it and you get those really, really clear in your mind, then the action steps for what, you know, how you have to go about getting it, that comes naturally. You know, my biggest goals when I figured out what the purpose behind them, it was just like magic showed up and all the how or the to-dos just started lining up in a row. And that's what you have to do. You have to know what you want. You have to know why you want it. And then you need to go figure out how to go get it. And you, what do you think the biggest uh, difficulty it was maybe for you and maybe for other people in finding out exactly what you want? Because it is a... You know, it's a momentous task. It sounds easy, but I, I think in life sometimes finding out exactly what you want is the hardest part. Is there any process that you went through to really sit down and determine these things? I think my goals are constantly evolving, and I don't think that you ever reach a point where you set in stone your goals and then you never want more. I think it's a matter of figuring out what's important to you in this moment in time and for the next maybe six months and then a year and then five years and then ten years. You know, when I first met Tony Robbins about 10 years ago now, interestingly enough, from what I'm about to tell you, he sat me down and I was really frustrated because I was you know, 20 years old, I wanted all these big things for my life, and I was, didn't have a girlfriend, I didn't have the amount of money that I wanted, or any money practically, uh, and I, I wanted all these things and I didn't know how to go get them, and he said, your problem is you're setting one-year goals, Sean, and one-year goals upset everybody. You need to set 10-year goals. And that was 10 years ago, and now I'm about to launch my own television show on a major television network. I've written four books. I've traveled to 47 states and now about seven or eight countries. I've, I've got this really great quality of life now that I'm proud that I developed. But it was a 10-year process from that moment on to get to where I'm at. So I would say your goals of deciding what you want, you have to kind of stretch out and set, you know, no goal is unrealistic. Sometimes we set unrealistic timetables. So, you know, when, when someone tells me that they want to lose weight and they want to be a certain shape, 
you know, that may not be able to happen overnight healthy-wise. Uh, however, six months to a year, I think that practically any human being could be whatever size they want. Uh, and that's where it all comes into play of being realistic in your timetable, but unrealistic in what you ultimately want. You know, people tell me a lot of times when I tell them my ideas, they'll be like, oh my God, Sean, that's so unrealistic of what you're asking for or what you think is possible. And I don't care if my goals are unrealistic. I just care if my timetables are unrealistic. Yes, yeah. And what you're saying is that actually amazing, as you said, what you accomplished in 10 years um, to where you've gotten. What it, qualities or, or characteristics that you developed do you think were most beneficial to getting you where you were? I would say, well, and I know this sounds like a cheesy plug, but I do not mean it to sound this way. In my book, I go through about six things that a human being needs to do in order to go after what they want. I'll go through at least one or two because I want to go into some depth with you. Um, One of them is you need to create a phenomenal pit crew. And a pit crew is more than just your peer group. Uh, I was sitting around, and I talk about it in the book, I was sitting around one night thinking about that concept of you are, you know, the five, you're just like the five closest friends that you have. You know, and they say, you know, if you don't believe that your friends influence you, add up your five closest friends, divide by the number of friends, and that's probably... You know, or, you know, add up their personal incomes and divide by the number of friends, and that's probably around your income. Um, and that's just not always accurate, but it's pretty close. Um, and, you know, you add up your friends' behaviors, divide by the number of friends, and you approximately have your behaviors. You know, smokers, you know, smoke in groups of friends that smoke. Non-smokers hang out in non-smoking groups. Hardcore drinkers hang out with hardcore drinkers. You know, people who exercise, hang out with people that exercise. You really do become like those you surround yourself with. And we all try to act like we're individuals. However, at the end of the day, we're all socially influenced. You know, I don't care how strong-willed of a person you think you are. At the end of the day, you have some influence over others, and others have influence over you. Now, that doesn't mean that you're a lemming. It just means that... When you're feeling good about yourself and you're having all the things go your way, you don't get heavily influenced. If you think about it, when you feel really great, no one can push you to do anything bad. However, when you're having a bad slump or you're not feeling well or you're depressed or you're tired or you're scared or you're lonely or you're hungry or you're horny, you end up leaning in the direction of what your friends want you to do. And if you have poor quality choice of friends, or what we call the pit crew, if you have a lazy pit crew, or a negative, or a cynical, or, you know, depressing peer group, it's going to have an impact on you when you're having a bad day. And so I always tell people, you know, one of the big reasons why I continue to climb to the top is because I've surrounded myself with an un- an, just an amazing amount of people who have a great view of reality they believe as einstein says you know is the world a friendly place and my my friends do believe that and anybody who doesn't believe that won't be able to get into my inner circle because your pit crew just like in auto racing it's the people around you that build you up when you're broken down 
And life will break you down at times. You know, even a high-performance racing vehicle has to pull into the pit, and people run up to its aid, put on new tires, new engine fuels, you know, uh, even check in with the driver to make sure that they they got water. I mean, all these things happen with the pit crew really quickly so that the car can get back out on the track. And that's just a metaphor for your life. You know, you're racing around doing everything, and if you pull into the pit, the group of people you hang out with, and they are a lousy group of people, they won't fix your tires or check your engine fluids. If More than likely, they won't even be around to help you because they're too busy worrying about themselves. And so you need to make sure that your pit crew is impeccable. And that's a big part of it. Another thing, I, and I go into it in detail in the book on how do you find the right pit crew? What's the difference between a good pit crew and a bad pit crew? What do you look for in how to be a pit crew member and somebody else's pit crew? So that's one element. Another element I would say has contributed to my success has been my quality of focus. And what I mean by that, that word has a lot of definitions. However, <clears throat> I look at focus as simply your conscious attention. That when you are consciously paying attention to all the things that you don't have, you're miserable. Don't want, you're miserable. And don't like, you're miserable. That's the definition of misery. Looking at what you don't have, don't want, and don't like. Now, <clears throat> if, you, if you focus on what you do have, that's what we call gratitude. And when you focus on what you do want, that's what we call vision. So I'm constantly checking in with my focus because I find when I'm feeling lousy, it's because I'm looking at what I don't have, don't want, don't like. When I'm feeling great, it's when I'm looking at what I do have and do want and do like. And I think that's so key to a person who wants to climb themselves out of a hole that they may be in in their health, wealth, and relationships. You've got to make sure you have an amazing peer group or pit crew, and you've got to have awesome focus. If you have those two things, I promise you, you know, there's, there's a, a wealth of abundance out there that you can have access to. That's excellent advice. And what do you think as far as speaking? And like I said, I've I've heard you speak and I found you extremely motivating. What do you think is your best um, approach to people that makes you resonate with them so well? Um, you know, what do you think you do better than, than let's say, other speakers? Um, well, there are a lot of speakers that I've learned from, so I don't necessarily want to compare myself to others. However, I'll tell you, what I do that I think is effective. Uh, I've really learned to tell stories because a human being is way more open to remembering something if it's tied to a story. I mean, let me ask you, what was the moral of the little engine that could? Do you remember? To get up the hill. Yep. And, trying, and, yeah. yeah, and never stop trying, never, never give up. Um... Do you remember the moral of the story to, uh, let's see, another story. Uh, well, I could, I could think of a million as, for like, as far as like our children's stories. But, you know, even movies. You know, what was the moral of the story to Braveheart? Yeah, just courage and, and uh, sacrifice. Right, exactly. How about uh, Forrest Gump? Ah. Uh... 
Forrest Gump, I don't remember. I saw that so long ago, I can't remember that one. How about Jerry Maguire? Jerry Maguire was uh, just uh, putting your, you know, doing what you love and going with it. Yeah. So you remember these morals to those stories, right? And that's what human beings are good at. They're good at letting go of their own reality and stepping into something else if it's got a story attached to it. That's why we like to read fictional books, watch movies, listen to speakers, because they transport us from our life into some mythical world or some other person's world. That's why we like reality television, because we can peer, you know, peek in on somebody else's world and see how we're like them and how we're not like them, how they inspire us and how we feel kind of repelled or maybe repulsed, whatever it may be. So stories have an element of sticking power in the human brain. Also what a story does is it causes no conscious defensiveness. So if I tell you this story about this guy who goes out and, you know, gets in shape and makes a lot of money and gets a great dating life, you're going to be like, cool, yeah, wow, that guy sounds like a really cool guy and blah, blah, blah. Now, if I went out and told you that you need to be in good shape, you need to make more money, and you need to be having more, you know, dating experiences, you'd get all defensive with me, possibly. Because you'd be like, well, what are you trying to tell me? And well, But if I tell you the story about this guy, your conscious defensiveness goes down because you're not feeling attacked. So there's all these elements to stories that are really powerful, and I recommend people tell stories in their in their talks. Um, another thing that I do is I also, I make sure that people are active in my, in my speeches. So I'll tell a story and then I'll use an activity. So I'll say, okay, it may be as simple as raise your hand if you ever dot, 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 or turn to your neighbor and, you know, tell him your most embarrassing moment, or I want a group of three and you're all going to discuss if you could have any superpower, what would it be? I make sure to always get the audience talking because not everybody wants to just hear the speaker. They want to hear their own voice. And so that's the second part of what I would tell you to do. So have stories, have activities, and then lastly, make sure you always wrap everything up, both the stories and the activities, with a meaning or a moral. You know, so the moral to that story is, or the meaning behind why I just had you do that, because when you are able to tell somebody why you did something, they remember it on a deeper level. So we can remember this little three-prong speaking approach, as I call the SAM, a story, an activity, and a moral. And if, if you have an hour to speak, you want to have at least three SAMs, three stories, three activities, and three morals. That's great advice. And, you know, as far as, uh, you know, a lot of the get off your butt and, and a lot of what you talk is, comes down to talking about the idea of confidence, what I thought was interesting is that in, in your book, uh, you talk a little bit about physical confidence, which is not as, as spoken about as, you know, the whole uh, self-esteem type general that, that confidence is all mental and that, you know, can you just talk a little bit about physical confidence? Yeah, it's a concept that I learned from, have you ever heard, heard a guy named Lance Mason? Uh, yeah, I have. <clears throat> yeah, Lance is one of my best friends, and Lance uh, has this great program if people want to see video of uh, physical confidence in, in depth. And so that's where I originally heard that term, but I had heard it in, in other ways, and basically it's this, that the mind and body are not two separate entities that can be unplugged from each other. 
that the mind and the body are one breathing, moving unit. And what I mean by that is, if I do something to you physically, you're going to get an emotional or an intellectual reaction immediately. If I do something, if I say something to you that makes you think or feel something emotionally or intellectually, your body is going to react to that, even on a micro-change level. So this is why we blush. This is why we laugh. This is why our stomachs feel queasy. This is how we get goosebumps. This is why our heart pounds. This is why we get an erection. This is why we vomit if we're not, you know, induced with some illness. Just, you know, fear can make us vomit. You know, all these mental, physical reactions are so tied together. And so my point is this. Physical confidence is recognizing that if you move your body in a way that's confident, you will automatically feel confident. And if you feel confident, then you'll be more prone to continue to move confidently. And they will just keep cycling back and forth. Sadly, most people do it the opposite. They have physical insecurity. So they think a negative thought, their body goes into a negative physiology. Then the negative physiology feeds the negative thought, and then they feel even more insecure. And it just keeps cycling down. And so I tell people, look at somebody who's really confident. Not arrogant, not cocky in a bad way, but really self-assured, really comfortable in their own skin. And look how they hold themselves. Look how they walk. Look how they talk. Look how they breathe, even. And notice that they are in commanding control of their physiology. And that affects their psychology. So, as you know, I learned from one of my mentors that wrote the book, Tony Robbins, uh, the foreword to the book, Uh, You know, motion creates emotion that when you move, you feel. When you don't move, you don't feel. And the goal is to feel good. So you have to put your body in a position that feels good. And that's usually shoulders rolled back, head up, deep breaths, talk and move slowly. Be very intentional about what you do with your body. No sudden, jerky, awkward moving. No stiffness, but no, you know, creepy, uh, slinky, like you're trying to slither up on something. You want to study people that are comfortable in their own skin and watch what they do. Yeah, it's definitely great advice. And, you know, you... I've seen you on various uh, shows and interviews, and you you have a, a extremely confident persona. And you know, I've heard interviews with you where you've talked about you know how you you weren't always like that. Now, knowing what you know now, what would you go back, let's say, ten, fifteen years ago when you were at that um, more uh, depressed state? You know, what advice would you give yourself, knowing what you know, you know, ten, fifteen years later, that might have made your journey a little quicker or easier. Yeah, would have shaved the learning curve. Yeah. I would say first and foremost I would go back to that, you know, I might sound like a broken record, but I would make sure I would start focusing on what I want and what I have. Because when a human being is very clear on their vision and their gratitude, they have a lot more confidence. They have a lot more strength. When most people are insecure, they're looking at what they don't have, don't like and don't want. Um, that would be one thing. I would immediately uh, set bigger goals for myself uh, with longer timelines, like Tony Robbins had shared with me. I would let myself know 
that I'm going to end up having everything I ever wanted. I'm going to be able to date tons of beautiful women that are amazing, good souls, mentally stable, hot bodies. Uh, I'm going to make tons of money. I'm going to become world famous. I would reassure myself of what's to come. Mm-hmm. Um so that I, I just was congruent that it was worth the wait. I would also tell myself to cut out the negative people. There were negative people in my life 10, 15 years ago. And I would have just gone right in and said, don't, you know, don't spend another second with these group of people. They're just weighing you down. Uh, and make sure, I would also tell myself, make sure not to get, this is a big one, make sure not to get involved romantically with any woman who is, unstable because that will just destroy you know years of your life and it did i got off track many many times because i fell in love with a totally unstable uh dramatic in a bad way uh group of women in in early in my life and it, it really took time away from my business so it took time away from what's really important and it just drained me of energy because I was trying to fix their lives, and meanwhile, my life was falling apart. Yeah, I think we've most of us have have been in those sort of relationships at some point. I can attest that they are draining emotionally and physically. Sure. And what what uh what other kind of pitfalls um do you recommend people watch out for? You know, what are some of the standard ones that you know? I I know, like you said, um falling in with the wrong group of people in relationships, but is there any mental pitfalls that... that sure. Um, believing your doubts. You know, you compete with only one element every single day when you wake up in the morning, and that's your doubt. And your doubt is that one thing that tells you you don't have enough, or that you don't... Not that you don't have enough, that's a bad term. Uh, your doubt tells you that you are not enough, and that you'll never be enough, and they... You, you don't have what it takes, and you never will. And when you come from your doubt, and you just act like a drug addict. You just keep tweaking out and acting like the world's against you, and nothing's going to go right, and, and the girl's never going to like you, and, and the business opportunity's not going to come through, and you're never going to make the money, and you're never going to have the friends, and you're never going to you know, drive that car, and you're never going to have a good family. I mean, you just you get paranoid when you believe your doubts. And it's a waste of time because your doubt is not real. Your doubt is just an illusion that's trying to protect you by getting you to play small. But it's a really childish way of protecting you. It's like, oh, I know how I'm, I know what I'm going to do. In order to never get sick, I'll never go outside of my house. Well, is it worth the sacrifice? I don't believe so. You know, a way that I'll never get in a car accident. I'll never get off the couch. Really? You 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 want to give up all that freedom just to avoid a possibility, a remote one? No. So doubt is doubt is a waste of time. In fact, I I mentioned that you know doubt is an element of fear, right? And fear is just an illusion that leaders know is just an illusion. You know, fear is what a leader looks at and goes, oh, that's just an illusion. It's not really me. The cowards look at fear and think of it as truth. A coward says, oh, no, my fear's true. It's The way I've been thinking about this is that 
A coward looks at their fear and says, oh, this is true. A leader looks at their fear and goes, it's just an illusion to get me to think sharper. You know, in fact, I, I heard it best, and I think it came from NLP. Uh, fear is just your unconscious mind telling you to focus on what you want. On what you want. Yeah, because fear is just a warning sign that you need to be focusing on what you want and not what you don't want, not what you don't have and don't like. So fear is just an element of an illusion to get you to be sharper. You know, I I do think that fear has an element of uh, existence or necessity because it gets us to think sharp about what we want and think sharply on what's important. You know, if you weren't afraid... Uh, you you'd be dead because you would walk out of every opportunity with no element of caution. Now, too much fear is just as bad as no fear. You know, I I think people are really mistaken about fear. They think that fear is something we need to eradicate from the planet, and I don't think fear is what needs to be eradicated from the planet because you know when you're when you're flying in a fighter jet. You know, you got to know that you could get shot down or you could make the wrong move and crash, so it keeps you sharp. Uh, but what you allow that fear to make you do is is the determining factor. Yeah, no, that's great advice. And I think that uh, handling fear is something that most people go their entire lives. It's like a constant struggle. And, uh, you know, risk and fear is just something that most people avoid. But like you say, if you know how to deal with it, it's something that you can almost embrace and use to your benefit. Sure. Yeah, I I still get afraid. But really, I don't even know if it's fear because excitement and fear trigger off the same brain chemicals and, and the same physical stimulus takes place in the human body when we're excited, that it does when we're afraid. So it's really a matter of framing what do, you, what do you believe is going on, you know? Some men think, oh, my God, I'm so afraid to talk to that girl. Other men go, oh, my God, I'm so excited to talk to that girl. You know, when I'm, when I'm at a club or I'm at a restaurant or I'm at a bookstore and I see a beautiful woman I want to talk to, you know, I get the element that many guys call fear. But I call it excitement because my heart's pounding, my... My, uh, you know, my palms get sweaty. I get, you know, totally uh, juiced. My body's just, yeah. like, on edge. And I walk up to her, and I am, like, alive, man. Especially these she's super radiant, you know? Yeah. Well, some other guy may experience all those physical markers and run out of the bookstore. And go, oh, my God, I'm going to die if I go talk to her. It's just a matter of perspective. Yeah, totally. Totally. And as far as uh, your life coming along, I mean, I know with this book release, I see that you're all over the place. I mean, what, how is it? Is is the change and and any good stories or the excitement that that has come in in, in a whirlwind for you in the last couple of years? Uh, yeah, well, I can tell you just in the last couple of months, uh, the last two months of my life since you know we've been, I have a television show as I mentioned earlier that's coming out. We just filmed uh, the pilot to it. It's super exciting. Can't release all the details. Uh, however, you know, I also released in this new book and just everything has been clicking. Um, in the past two months, I'll give you an idea. I filmed this television show, which took 96 hours to film and 
That was just exhausting alone. I threw out the first pitch in a Major League Baseball game uh, with a group of about 30 of my closest friends watching in a private skybox that was donated. We showed up to the stadium with private limos and a police escort. We had uh, a, a birthday party. I just turned 30, and we had 75 people flying from around the world uh, to Hollywood, California, and we had a big birthday celebration for me. Uh, what else have I done lately? I just had my first major book signing where the, we sold out of all the books, and uh, Inside Edition was there filming me. Uh, I just got back from flying down to uh, Necker Island, which is Richard Branson's private island, where I spent the day with Richard Branson having breakfast, lunch, and dinner and talking to him about business and the economy and women and uh, the, the uh, environment. I mean, it, you know, I'm traveling around the uh, country, going back and forth to New York and L.A. for the book tour and the television show, going to all the different major cities, promoting the book on you know, their morning television shows, constantly doing newspaper interviews, and it's just like a whirlwind. Every single day for the past two and a half months has practically been filled every single hour. And I'm just, I'm just so happy and yet also very much at peace knowing that this is not an accident, that I have been working diligently for a long time underground um, on my career. And what I mean by underground is just for a long time I've been working on things that you know, weren't visible to others. It, you know, I had to write the book. No one, no one was sitting outside of my, my office cheering for me every day that I closed my laptop when I was writing it. No one was, you know, rooting me on for three years as I worked to get a television show off the ground. You know, the private victories are massive and numerous in comparison to the public victories. In fact, the metaphor that I can tell you about my career and all careers, in my opinion, it's like Chinese bamboo. When you plant Chinese bamboo, according to what I've heard and read, you have to water it, you know, water the seedlings for seven years before it ever sprouts out of the ground. However, when it sprouts out of the ground in the first two weeks, it grows 14 feet. So it's a perfect example of, you know, you work a long time on your health, wealth, and relationships, and you feel like you're not getting it anywhere, and when you finally get it to click, it explodes in a good way above the ground, and then everybody else just says, wow, how is it that you met Richard Branson? How is it that you got a television show? And it looks like it all happened overnight, and yet I can attest to the fact that it's 13 years in the making. Yeah, so, I mean, and a lot of, like, you talk... Uh, like Tony Robbins, and, and a lot of that is about like visualiz visualizing your future and then getting it. I mean, is this what you've pictured, or have you far exceeded when you know, or or has your goals changed as it has it gone on? I definitely have not far exceeded my expectations. I'd have to go a lot further uh, <laughs> because I have really high expectations for myself and for what I can do on this planet. I can say I'm on track now. I'm caught up to where I'd like to be at this point. Um, I I think my goals have changed slightly here and there, but really my biggest goal is to rid the world of insecurity. And I'm thinking really big and talking to a lot of powerful, influential people on this planet on what it would take in order to get rid of the epidemic that is insecurity. And we're coming up with a lot of different ideas 
of what the antibody could be to insecurity and how we could administer the antibody so that it's not prevalent. You know, if you get rid of insecurity, you get rid of suicide, you get rid of uh, violence, you get rid of eating disorders, you get rid of all these massive ills that take place yeah, yeah. on the planet. It, it, so much stem and so much you wouldn't even realize stems from insecurity. That, yep. That uh, just and insecurity is sneaky. Yeah. It's it's a very sneaky element because you do things out of insecurity that you don't even realize are because of insecurity. Mm-hmm. You know, jealousy is insecurity. Mm-hmm. Anger is insecurity. Uh, fear, on some levels, can can be rooted because of insecurity, and. When you are insecure, you don't feel like you are enough and that you don't have what it takes. And nothing can be further from the truth. Look, if a three-foot-tall man in a wheelchair that looks like a mixture between Tony, um, not Tony Robbins, my a uh, mixture between Yoda and uh, Teddy Ruxpin, I don't know if you remember that story when you were a kid, but, you know, this weird-looking thing that has, you know, tiny little legs and tiny little arms and a... And uh, a big head, if that can produce beautiful relationships with hot women, make money, travel the world, have a blast, great group of friends, then really, honestly, I believe that anything is possible for any human being. I don't care how large or small. You know, I'm not bragging here. I'm just using myself as an example. You know, that in my life, I'm out here to prove, prove a point. You can have anything you want, no matter where you come from or what you have. That's excellent advice. And just to leave the readers or listeners out there, what three things would you like them to take away from this phone call? Slow down. I would say slow down. It's easy, and I get into the trap myself, of wanting everything to happen now. You know, we live in a Facebook, Twitter, MySpace, YouTube world where we don't want the news an hour from now. We want it seven seconds ago. And we want, you know, nobody, the kids nowadays don't even know what an encyclopedia is. They know what Google is. So while I think technology is great and I'm not bashing it by any means, I still believe that while we live in a fast-paced world, we don't have to be fast-paced. We can slow down. In fact, Bruce Lee, I think, said it. You have to slow down to speed up. And I didn't get that until I started practicing it. Mm -hmm. You know, when you slow down, you make sure that you get everything you want done in the day done. But when you're racing around and you're not conscious and you're not living in the moment, you end up making a lot of mistakes and forgetting things and overlooking uh, importances in your life. So I would tell you, slow down. You'll get far more done in a day if you slow down your breathing, slow down your thinking. Uh, When you try to race around, things fall through the cracks. So that would be one. Two, really contemplate your death. Not how you want to die, just that fact that you're going to die. You know, anytime I want a juice or an electrical charge, I just sit and visualize my body as a corpse and no longer alive and realizing that that day will come. I don't know when, but that day will come. And while that might not sound very inspiring, it actually is because apathy comes from thinking, you, you know, you have forever. Ah, you know, I'll be here forever, whatever. But when you realize your time is limited and you will be a, 
a rotting piece of smelly flesh someday, you really want to get your your goals accomplished. You know, anytime there's something I want to tell somebody and I'm like, I don't know. I mean, I'm worried how they would take it. You know, I really want to tell this girl. I really want to be with her. I really want to tell this business partner I can't work with them anymore. And whatever it may be that may take a lot of courage for me to do, I'm just, I just tell myself, Sean, you're going to die. You're going to die. So is it really going to matter in the end? No. Do what you think is best. Do what's going to serve you best. And and be best for everyone around you. So slow down, contemplate your death, and know that you better start living your life. I think what's scarier than death is thinking that you'll never get to truly live. You know, that's what the Braveheart quote, every man dies but not every, true, not every man really lives or something like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the third thing I would say is if you only tackle what you know, You'll never grow. You have to take on projects and ideas and concepts and peer groups that, that are not familiar for you to grow. The familiar, familiarity breeds contempt. It breeds stagnation. You know, still waters smell. Still waters breed mosquitoes and bacteria and viruses. Flowing water is clean Flowing water is fun to ride on. Flowing water is beautiful. And so I would tell you to, well, in the same note that you need to slow down, I would still tell you to keep moving forward and taking on projects and things that make you a little bit uncomfortable at all times. You know, that's when I know I'm doing the right thing is when I just have another uncomfortability to know I'm growing. You know, I took on a project... um, with this television show, I've never done my own television show. I'm thinking, you know, the world's going to be watching my life. They're going to be judging me. I'm going to end up having some haters out there. I might end up having stalkers. I might have people writing me hate mail and death threats and people jealous of me. And all that fear just started bubbling up. And then I went and just slowed down. I contemplated my death, realizing that you only get one life. And this is something I've never done. And so that's okay because you, if you never tackle anything new, you never grow, it's time to take it on. And so that's how I've lived my life. And that's how I recommend everyone else live theirs. Make sure that you're always reaching for something that's just a little bit out of reach at all times so that you're moving forward to get it. If you're constantly just doing what you know, you're not going to get any better at anything. You're only going to keep perfecting the past. And that's not what you want. You want to start perfecting your present. Wow, that is powerful, powerful advice. For the listeners out there who may want to learn a little bit more about you and maybe pick up a copy of your book, where where can they find out some more, more stuff? Uh, they can, they can uh, go on to my website. They can also Twitter me. They could hit me on Facebook and MySpace. Um, the best way probably to get to all of those technology pr- platforms is through my main website, and that's www.time2tostand.com. So time to stand.com because you have to take a stand for your life or you'll be stuck on your butt. Awesome. Is uh, there anything else you'd like to add today, Sean? Just to make sure that uh, if people want to get in touch with me and 
want to email me, just know that I'd be happy to be in communication and let people know how I can help them. Great, great. It was a pleasure talking to you, and I think you gave the listeners a ton of great information to, to get them started. And uh, I highly advise that they they go check out your site, find you on Facebook and Twitter. Excellent. All right, my friend. Thanks, Sean. You bet. All right, it's Bobby Rio. Thanks for joining me. And uh encourage you to go to MakeSmallTalkSexy.com and take a look at the free report I'm giving away. If you at all struggle with your conversations, have trouble keeping a conversation flowing, or have trouble moving a conversation past that boring small talk, or want to learn how to take a conversation to a more sexual level with a woman you're, you're talking to, I think you're really going to enjoy this report. It's at makesmalltalksexy.com, and uh, let me know what you think.